As we begin our worship this morning, let's hear some words from Psalm 63, verses 1 to 4 say, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Our reading this morning comes from Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22. Do not worry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we've all seen churches with interesting notice boards, haven't we? We've all seen ones with the quirky little messages that are there to catch our attention. And some of them are really good and really funny and are really like pointed and have a good meaning. But some kind of miss the point a little bit. And I've got five pictures that are going to come up on the screen with the different ones that I've seen. Mainly American, I'm afraid. But um, the first one, having trouble sleeping, we have sermons, come hear one. <laughs> Hopefully not this one. <laughs> and the next one. Speak well of your enemies, after all you made them. (laughs) The next one is, there are some questions that can't be answered by Google. The next one's my favourite one, I'll give that much away. Whoever's praying for snow, please stop. (laughs) And finally, don't let worries kill you, let the church help. (laughs) Yeah. And it's that last one, worry. Well, that's where the passage we're talking about today begins. It begins by Jesus telling us not to worry. You see, Jesus had a unique way of teaching. 
he used his surroundings to illustrate a point. And in that passage we heard earlier, if you use your imagination, you can imagine Jesus walking through a crowd of people and looking down and seeing the wildflowers and hearing the birds singing. And he knows that everyone else can see the wildflowers and hear the birds singing. So he uses them thing, those things and he makes them relevant. You see, he talks about how we worry. And let's be honest, we all worry, don't we? I've been worrying this week quite a bit, to be honest. <laughs> but um, we worry about things we can't control. We worry about things we can control. But we worry about all sorts of things. So Jesus points out the obvious. The birds of the air, they can't reap or sow or gather crops. But they're all right. They have to work for the food. Sure they do, but when they look for it, they find it. All they need to do is seek it, and it's there. And as for the flowers of the field, well, they're stunning. You see, they don't have to do anything to live and grow. They're just there, and God looks after them. And even though they're only going to live for a very short time, look how beautiful they are. God cares enough about them to make them beautiful, even though they're going to be there for a short time. And so it's those two things that he uses as an example. And Jesus tells us not to worry. But notice it's certain things he tells us not to worry about. He tells us not to worry about the things that we need day by day. The things of every day that we need to get by. Because he says he will provide all that we need. You see, he tells us not to worry about our food or our clothes or our shelter. Or the material things that we so often highly prize. He tells us that not to worry because he will provide it. And you know, when we think about these things, the reason we worry about them is because that we're thinking only about our own little lives, about our own kingdom, as it were. You see, we all have a kingdom. And by that, I mean we all have our lives which we're in charge of, we make the decisions, and therefore, in a sense, I want you to you think of that as our own little kingdom. You see, my kingdom is a shared kingdom up north in Bacup Shed with Richard. I'm in charge. Um, but um, in my kingdom, there's a not-so-little Labrador who runs about, uh, most often sleeps. But he protects the material possessions in my kingdom at the drop of a hat. And in my kingdom, there are some things that are really important that I'd do anything to protect. And there are other things that don't really matter that much. But regardless of the details... I have my kingdom and you have yours. You see, every single one of us has a kingdom. It's completely our own and what we choose to do with it is entirely up to us. The things we do in day-to-day -day lives take place in the realm of our little kingdom. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's what we do with that. Well, some research that looked at what people do with their time on an average of a lifespan of 70 years, for example, reckons that we sleep for about 23 years of that. I think that's exaggerating. I, don't sleep, I won't sleep for 23 years. Uh, we work for 16 years. We watch TV for a massive eight years. We also eat for six years and we travel for six years. We spend four and a half years doing leisure activities, four years being ill, two years dressing, and half a year associated with our faith. Now, I'm sure, obviously, those figures vary. 
from person to person. But within that, I think it's fair to say that we all have choices. We all have decisions to make, things we can choose to do with that time. And it's those things, work, illness, how we spend our time, that we tend to worry about. We worry about whether we're going to have enough money, about whether work will go as well as we want it to. We worry about whether we're going to stay in work or not, especially at the moment. We worry about all sorts of things. Some of them incredibly important, but some of them not so much. I heard a story of a woman who for several years had trouble sleeping because she was scared of burglars. And one night her husband heard a noise in the house and he went downstairs and sure enough there was a burglar. So good evening, said the man of the house. I'm pleased to see you. Will you come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting ten years to meet you. <laughs> now you see, that of course is just a silly example, but worry leads to anxiety. And apparently the average person's anxiety is based on 40% of things that will never happen. 30% of things about the past that we can't do anything about. 12% of criticism from others, which is usually wrong. 10% about health, about our health, which gets worse with stress. And only 8% about real problems that will be faced. So chances are, we worry a lot more than we need to. So Jesus tells us not to worry. And that's easily said and more difficultly done. But actually, some of the things we worry about are really important. But you know, one of the best things to do with our worries is to take them to God. Someone once said, Every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. (laughs) And that's really good advice. You see, God wants to help us through our worries. And he wants to take that anxiety away from us. I was reading an article about a man who said that with his family, to deal with their worries, they took a a paper bag and they wrote God on it and they pinned it up on the back of the kitchen door. And every time they worried about something, they had to write it down and pray about it and put it in the paper bag. And he said that he would pray about matters such as his career, his role as a father, his ability to be a good husband. And the rule was that if he started worrying about it again, he had to climb up on a chair and fish it out and uh, take it back out of the bag. And he said, I don't want to admit how much time I spent sifting through those scraps of paper. You see, so often, once we've dealt with our worries, we kind of pick them back up again, don't we? Once we've prayed about them and handed them over to God, we don't leave them there, we we just hold on to them. But see, what God wants us to do is leave them with him, knowing that he'll take care of us. It doesn't mean that things will work out exactly as we want. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything's just going to be wonderful in an instant. But what it does mean is that he'll help us. And we have the promise that we will have all that we need. And the thing is, worry is something that we all do. And I don't for one minute think that Jesus is telling us off for worrying, just that he's inviting us to leave them with him and let him deal with them. And actually, I think it's a matter of priority. A group of friends went deer hunting and paired off in twos for the day. That night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under the weight of a deer that they'd shot. Where's Harry? Someone asked. Oh, Harry broke his leg a couple of miles up the path. He left Harry lying there and carried 
the deer back. A tough call, nodded the hunter, but no one's going to steal Harry. <laughs> you see, we all have decisions to make. God has given us all free will. And what we need to understand is that God's kingdom comes with an invitation. An invitation for us to surrender ours to him, including our worries, and allow it to exist as part of his kingdom. And the wisest thing we can do is put him in charge of our lives. You see, what Jesus is saying is that we need to sort out our priorities. It's his kingdom that should be our priority, not the worries about everyday stuff of our own. Because the thing is that God has a kingdom. His kingdom has existed eternally and it will never end. And God's kingdom is everywhere that his will has an effect, which is pretty much everywhere. His kingdom has been around and will be around forever. And it's not, men, not man-made. And the best thing about it is that we have an invitation to be part of it. And Luke 12, 30, verse 31 in the New Living Translation says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything we need. You see, if we make God's kingdom our priority and acknowledge that it's more important than our own, then that's what Jesus is on about when he says that we've got to seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's what happens when we surrender our kingdom to God's kingdom. You see, to seek the kingdom of God above all else is a question of priorities. It's a question of who's got control of your life. To seek God's kingdom above all else, you have to ask yourself if your priorities are the same as God's priorities. But what does it practically mean to seek the kingdom of God above anything else? Well, I love the way the message version puts it. If you've ever read it, it's very simple, plain English, and that's what I like. And it says, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Not, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can't respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative and God provisions. And you'll find just your every, everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. You see, our desire should be to have God at the centre of our lives and not fuss over other things. We should seek him above anything else. And to do, to do that, to pursue him first, means to spend time with him, to read the Bible and pray. And when you do these things, you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. You see, his kingdom isn't a kingdom of power or of might or anything like that. But it's one of forgiveness and love, where prejudice is unheard of and things like pride and dishonesty, well, they just don't exist. It's a kingdom where greed is absent and where people put others before themselves. And the most amazing thing about seeking God's kingdom above anything else is that our focus will change. You see, seeking God's kingdom means changing your plans to fit with God's plans and in everything wanting to please God. You see, just the act of seeking is all that it takes to find him. God's hand is in everything that happens here on earth. We just need to look for it. And when we get our priorities straight, when 
we seek God's kingdom above all else, then we'll find our attitudes change too. You see, after all, in a world where children are abused and deserted, where we don't know our next door neighbour, never mind someone living down the street, where hurt is real and not being accepted by our peer group poisons children's self-image, does it really matter what stuff we have? In a world where other people influence children more than we do, shouldn't people strengthen their families by being part of God's kingdom? You see, we need to notice the world right outside our door or inside our home and make sure that we're living God's way and not our own. And you know, as we think about seeking the kingdom of God, we also think about bringing forward the kingdom of God, about advancing the kingdom of God. And when we do that, we often think that it's the big things that bring people to Jesus, not the things of every day. But you see, people might come into the kingdom of God. People might become Christians at some big event or at something at church. But it also happens in our home over breakfast, at the supermarket, behind our desk at work, in the school playground even. It happens anywhere. Anywhere where God is visibly at work in us, he can bring about his kingdom through us. Throughout history, God used ordinary, everyday people to do extraordinary things. People like Moses and Noah and David and Daniel and Samuel and Joshua and Esther and I could go on. They were just ordinary people who served an extraordinary God. And we too are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. But we don't need to do extraordinary things to tell people about Jesus, to bring others into the kingdom of God. It happens through people who seek God's kingdom above all else. People who have their priorities right will bring others to know Jesus, even in ways that go unseen or unnoticed. We don't have to be in the spotlight to make a difference. We don't have to have a huge following to be a testimony. We just need to be totally committed. I came across a story about a hen and a pig. A hen and a pig, a, a hen and a pig, approached a church, you know, as they do, and uh, read the advertised sermon topic, which said, "What can we do to help the poor?" Immediately, the hen suggested they feed them bacon and eggs. There's only one thing wrong, the pig said, about feeding bacon and eggs to the poor. For you, it requires a contribution. For me, it requires total commitment. You see, God requires total commitment. Some people have God as one compartment of their lives with just on par as many other things. God says that we must seek his kingdom above all else. In other words, God's will must come before our own and must be more important in our lives than our own agendas. We need to seek God's will by doing the little things right. We don't need to neglect the ordinary days, ordinary everyday things of our lives. We just need to make sure God is at the centre of them. You see, life is made up of lots of ordinary day-to-day kind of events with a few extraordinary ones thrown in. And it's those ordinary things that make a difference. You see, we need to recognise that we all have a kingdom. We all have certain amount of control over our little kingdom. We all have choices. And then we need to acknowledge that God has a kingdom. And his kingdom is 
we're, we're better than ours. And then we need to choose to submit to God's kingdom. Then those things that we worry about, well, they won't be the most important thing anymore. They won't be our main concern. And it doesn't mean that everything will instantly be okay, because wouldn't that be great? But it just means that perhaps we'll go about things differently. Because you see, we seek the kingdom of God above all else when we care more about others than ourselves. We seek the kingdom of God above all else when we commit ourselves totally to God in following him and growing in relationship with him. We seek the kingdom of God above all else when we grow to be more and more like him day by day and when we allow his will to take priority over our own. And when we seek the kingdom of God above all else, then we'll be able to tell others about Jesus, not only through our words, but through our actions, because we'll already be doing it through the stuff of every day. And that's what seeking the kingdom of God above all else is all about. Amen.